we were coming off this direct-to-consumer, venture-backed incest pool of brands just falling out of the sky. So many brands that I know were raising at 20 million or 40 million. They're just dead right now. And meanwhile, I'm talking to these people and their brands are doing eight figures, nine figures, best-selling here. What's really interesting is these brands follow a very similar format that I think anybody listening could also do. And basically just turned a problem that is like very, again, visually stimulating, demonstrable problem and provided a very clear solution. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. All right, Moyes, we talk about TapCard every episode. We love TapCard. But did you know that TapCard is not for 70 to 90% of your customers? In fact, it's best used for your top 10 to 30% of customers. You get direct access to your VIP segment and the LTV of that top 10% will increase your cohort LTV by about two and a half times. The best part is the instant page loading, the better user experience, the one-click checkout. It's a fantastic experience for your best customers. And you can't forget the free push notifications. If you want to try TapCart, go to tapcart.com slash limited. Okay, episode five, limited supply. Here we go. I'm back. I'm ready. You're back? You're back? I don't know why I said I'm back. I said we're back. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) I'm glad you were back. Okay. I know... You've uh, flushed out an agenda for us. Tell me a little bit about the agenda, and then I want to get to one thing. Okay. We got three main topics for the agenda. One is M&A, which I know you're going to love. We would love that. One is cannabis. And the other one that I just know you're going to love is all about mommy bloggers. Ooh, okay. Love all three of this. <laughs> so funny. Last night, I was getting dinner at Air One in Venice, and- I ran into the banker who did the native deal with us. Like he just walked away and, uh, you know, I hadn't seen him in a long time and I was like, what's going on? Shari is in Shariar and he's like, well, anyway, uh, it's just great running into him. Okay. Before we get to your agenda, I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser and I want you to think about this during the episode. Okay. I want you to think about like, you know, remember when we shot that episode with my brother, he's like, Hey, what's this brand? It ended up being Tootsie Roll. Oh, you got one. I've got one for you. Okay. This company launched in 1997. It's a mall-based retailer, okay? They have 350 stores across the United States and Canada and the UK. On average, each store does about a million bucks a year. Okay. Million three, actually, okay? Thousand full-time employees, 3,200 part-time employees. Okay. Mall-based retailer, direct-to-consumer, Last year, they did $467 million in revenue. The year before, $411 million in revenue. So 2021, 411, 2022, 467. 467 million in revenue. Their advertising expenses last year was only $20 million. So way less advertising, you know, a lot of direct-to-consumer brands. Yeah, I bet 3%. True Classic. Yeah, True Classic is spending, you know, 3x this on advertising. So yeah, $467 million top line. 19.6 million advertising, let's say 20 million, and 74 million in EBITDA. Okay. One other thing to mention, they're publicly traded and they have a $332 million market cap today. So the business is worth $332 million, did 74 million in profit last year, 467 million in revenue last year. All right. Is that all my clues? 
Uh, yeah. Are there any questions? You get two questions. Is this something I would wear or eat? The answer to that is neither, but you've definitely heard of this brand. I doubt you've ever purchased from there. When, what year were you born? 1996. God, this brutal large. That's where you were born. <laughs> uh, yeah, like the year after you were born. Okay, I doubt you've purchased from there. All right, so a million dollars a year per location. Yeah, 1.3. Yeah, that makes me think it's not clothing. It's not something you wear. Yeah, it almost makes me think it's like one of those iPhone screen-fixing kiosks, businesses. My first thought was Dippin' Dots. Wow, that's also good. God, that's a good guess. That is such a good guess. <laughs> okay, wait, you get one more question or two more questions? Okay, let me think here. All right, my next question is, who is buying? Who says they want to buy this? Not puts their card down, but who says... I want that. <laughs> <laughs> you little bitch. Uh, that's such a good question. Um, my nephews. Okay. Fuck, and it's not Dippin' Dots, so... And one more clue. Oh, well, actually, uh, I'll give you what this clue at the end, but uh, okay. should we come back? Should we circle back to it at the end of the uh, episode? No, no, no. I want, I gotta, f yeah, I gotta figure this out. Think about the how little of marketing spend that is. You know, twenty million in marketing spent on four hundred sixty-seven million in revenue. That's bananas, and you know, three hundred fifty stores. That's not that many, actually. Um, yeah, but not. seventy-five million dollars in profit, which is pretty good. Solid business. That actually, this is a business that I I, re I would really love to become uh, to get to get involved with. I mean, I never could because it's been around for you know, but it's like a very good business with a lot of opportunity in front of it. I, I feel like you're going to mention it and I'm just going to be like, of course, how did I not guess that? Uh, yeah. I'll give you one more clue. They sell a lot of gift cards. And I looked at this on their 10K. 75, they say 70, maybe this isn't that good of a clue. 75% of gift cards are redeemed in three years. 60% are redeemed the first year. Actually, So 60% of the gift cards are redeemed year one, another 15% over the next two years. 25% are broke, like they call gift card breakage. They They're never redeemed. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but like, think you about probably it as love a that. Product. Your cash flow balls are tingling with that. Yeah, 25%. that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> think about that. That's the first thing I would do if I were them. I'd be like, we're offering more discount, uh, more uh, gift cards right away. Yeah. Buy a $100 gift card and get $20 to spend next quarter. Oh, fuck. I'm out of, is it like, uh, damn, any, anything I think of, it doesn't fit the 1.3. Like 1.3, okay, and kids doesn't need a lot of marketing. Is this like a, a train business, like a train around the mall or some shit? That's so good. No, no, it's not a train around the mall. Okay, should I tell you? Yeah. Build-A-Bear. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? It's Fuck, like, how did I not guess that? That is so You were so close. You were so close in so many things. Like Dippin' Dots is a great, your questions are so good. Is it something I eat or wear? <laughs> yeah. I feel like you must be very good at guess who. Um, no, I'm not. I just not uh, <laughs> I was just trying to think because I know I know in my head like there's a, a cafe I love going to. They do about a million. And yeah. then when we talked about all birds and I mentioned a million, you were like, that's terrible. So in my head, I'm thinking it can't be a retailer. And it's probably maybe a cafe, but then that that's that's why I was like, who's actually wanting to do yeah. this thing? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's a really good business. You know, $75 million in profit, $74 million in profit last year, trading at $332 million. And they just do build, like, imagine if they did build a dine, like all the other animals that people would love them to build. Like they should be doing build a, you know, like Nintendo released their new movie. They should be like, build a Nintendo character, build Mario or build- Yeah, it should be a licensing galore. Yeah, like, you know, uh, what color hat do you want them to wear? All that kind of stuff. It should be a lot more licensing. I mean, the brand is already super solid. That's a lot of EBITDA. Uh, that's great margins. It's just like, I, I, there's so much opportunity, I think. Their marketing spend's really interesting. I am kind of shocked that they've stayed so relevant with such little marketing spend. And also the fact that like mall, mall traffic's definitely down a lot. Yeah. But the fact that they've been able to stay so relevant it's pretty amazing. Maybe they also think of it as like, yeah, we probably could triple the revenue, but then we'd have to do all this work. Whereas right now it's just kind of coasted. Maybe, but I think if you're like publicly traded, you want to do that kind of work because you're generally like, you know, they'll bring in an outsider CEO. Like this is not the same CEO that started the business that's still CEO. The other thing is they're franchising a lot internationally, which makes sense. Their biggest franchise location is in South Africa, which is weird. Like, you know, I would have imagined in China, this would be great because people are like, this is an American thing. Teddy bears are American. Like, we want to be like that. Uh, but actually, it's South Africa. And then I think in Australia is their number one and number two locations and stores. Fascinating. Okay, cool. That's what I wanted. I wanted to do that. That was so much. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a really good one. I thought about doing this for several weeks. And I keep forgetting to like get the numbers. Yeah. And today I was like, okay, we're recording in a little bit. <laughs> so I looked up all of the numbers and I even scheduled a tweet to see if other people were going to get it. I've got a tweet yeah. going out saying, hey, I'm rec- uh, doing this. Uh, I'm asking Nick, what, what is this business? Can you guess it first? <laughs> That's amazing. All right. So let's get into it. So, um, all right. For context, I made today's agenda. Moise is Mr. Travel this week. And so I'm excited. I love when I get to make the agenda because, you know, when you make the agenda, you make it in a shared doc and then I do my best to get information so I don't sound like an idiot. But like when I make the agenda, I, I don't like to show you anything. Yeah, I, like I, have no idea I have no yeah, idea. I have no idea. It's amazing. Okay. So there was an article that came out, I believe, late last week about a company saying that they were going to hit $200 million in sales. Do you know yeah. which company I'm talking Olipop. about? Olipop. Yeah. So- um, Didn't even need the agenda. I got that. Yeah. In fact, I, I was putting that on there. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's pretty, see. yeah, pretty interesting article. Like it didn't really say anything. There was this guy on Twitter who goes by I for retail. He had a couple interesting points. So he said, you can tell this is the work not of a PR firm because there is no other published articles about the brand in a consistent manner. And the founder is also quoted here saying some unscripted lines that a PR firm would have made more polished. He thinks that the reasons this article went live, one is competitive interest. So, you know, if you're mentioning Coke and Pepsi, that's two of the three biggest players in beverage. It's going to get other people, PE firms, et cetera, excited. The second is a sense of urgency. So like, hey, Coke is already talking to these guys and Keurig wants to get in. They better fucking hurry up and, and start that conversation. The third, which I thought was really interesting he said it could potentially be buyer side stakeholder support, meaning if some analyst at Coke in the M&A department says we should buy Olipop, this article is a chess piece or a chess move by that analyst to try to get buy-in from the other executives at Coke to help push this deal across the board, which I thought was really interesting because it's like an interesting way to play corporate politics. It's like it was giving a little bit of succession vibes. Yeah. And then the fourth is 
to get community support from the investment analyst community, which generally tends to be against M&A transactions and beverage. And so the idea was, how do we get these guys excited to then get the next layer of people excited to then get the executives excited to then make the thing? Now, what's interesting is a company this size, obviously, you know, you have lesser and lesser acquisition prospects, the bigger you get. They really have three main companies. One is Coca-Cola, one is Pepsi, and the other is Keurig, which roped up Dr. Pepper and Snapple yep. Group as well. What are your thoughts on this? I have several thoughts on that. One is uh, it's entirely true that P you know companies will start PR when they're trying to sell their business or raise money. So you'll see a huge, in like if you start seeing a lot more PR articles dropping, that's often the case. A, a company is about to go fundraise and they're like, let's get as much press as we can to try and create FOMO, to try and get investors excited about us. Or if you're trying to sell your business, that's also a good idea is to like try and get your brand awareness up and you people start thinking about you as a business rather than just a brand. I'd be surprised if that's the way they were thinking about, he about th that's how the Olipop team was thinking about it because it was just one article. So that's like a little bit surprising, but it's just one article. It's not like a big push. I went back and I started looking because there was two, two other examples that were cited on Twitter. One was somebody said Away did the same thing to sell and then Outdoor Voices also did the same thing. Both of them... Away Travel did this in February this past year, and then Outdoor Voices did this in August last year. They were both one single article that went out. I think the Away one might have been on Crane, which is, I think, a business publication. Yeah. And then Outdoor Voices was on Bloomberg, I think. And they were all like single articles, almost like an exclusive type, but then nobody else cared to follow along. I thought like you'd you'd sort of do something like this and create like an embargo and get ten people interested and then release your embargo. Yeah, like Olipop announces that they're doing two hundred million in revenue and like try and get a bunch of people to write about it at the same time. I don't know enough about the PR. Like we never did this, so I don't know enough about the PRs. Yes. Yeah. What about any of the companies you're on the board of or invested in? Have they done this? No, not that I can think of. Manscaped had an IPO process that they didn't end up consummating, and um, they—I didn't see any of this kind of stuff happen. Like they released an S one where they're like, "Here are our sales," but that's because they're like legally obligated to do that. They didn't like have a PR push, as far as I can recall. A couple other things I'd mention is uh, one: I had the opportunity to invest in Olipop really early on, and I didn't. And I'm a fucking idiot. Like I look at them right every day, and I'm like, "Ugh, I love you, and I hate you." <laughs> like I drink, I drink the root. What's your favorite uh, favorite flavor? The root beer. The root beer. And yeah. I'm like, I drink it, and I'm like, I hate how much I like this. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> mad at myself. Um, the other is that there was a rumor that Honest did this when they were trying to sell their business to Seventh Generation. Like there was a rumor that said the business was worth like seven hundred million dollars, or that's the price they were negotiating for. Where that number, I think, leaked. And the rumor was that like Honest leaked it to try and get other people to be interested in the business sure. and buy Honest. And I remember, you know, sitting next to a very high level executive at Unilever because we were trying to sell our business to them. And he's like, uh, you know, Honest thinks their business is worth 700 million. He's like, it's not even worth half that. That's what he told me when, uh, you know, at some point they were looking at it. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. But like, you know, there was this, there is a use for PR. And, I, you know, the rumor was they had leaked the number to try and get, uh, to try and, uh, you know, get other interest from other uh, CPG companies. There's a lot of unverified facts, I feel like, that get spewed out in revenue and actually mainly revenue and probably percentage growth 
from CPG companies. I can think of three companies that have put revenue numbers out before and I've asked them if this is real and they're just like, yeah, no, we just kind of say that's speculation, but we don't confirm or deny it. But yeah, we did give them that number. <laughs> yeah, that is scary uh, and terrible um, that people would do that. Uh, the one other thing I would say is I'm not sure, Like, I think this, uh, this article said that they had done like 200 million in sales and I was, wasn't sure. They planned to do 200 this year, I think. This year. And I'm not sure if they're like, we're going to sell $200 million to like, you know, the targets of the world. Or if they're like, we will do $200 million in retail sales, meaning our own revenue may be closer to $100 million. Like that was, I remember reading the article and I was like, I'm not entirely sure what this means. Yeah. Like if this, Alipop is set to cross $200 million in annual sales. Does that mean retail sales or their sales? Sounds like it's their sales. Yeah, that's actually a fantastic question. It's kind of like the question with Prime. Like the $200 million, is that Prime revenue or Walmart revenue, which then half of that goes to Prime? I'm almost certain with Prime, it's retail sales. Yeah. But like that is a big, like that is a good question to ask for businesses that are primarily wholesale. You know, your revenue is not retail sales. Your revenue is what do you sell to them? Yeah, I think it's retail. That's my guess. Because like, why would you publish the non-retail number if the other one sounds better? Yeah, the retail one will sound better. The honest one is the one that's yours. And I, I don't know. I don't know enough about this. And I don't think that they were misleading in any way. It was just a little bit generic. And so uh, I, I think that's a really great number. I mean, that's huge for a business like this. Uh, that's Especially, that I wonder if it's like the yeah. artist category. Yeah. I wonder what their velocity looks like. You know, there was an article recently in the Wall Street Journal about the Pepsi CEO. Okay, so the Pepsi CEO used to be this Indian woman. And at the same time, the Coke CEO was this Muslim man. And <laughs> I was like, I wonder what's going to happen here. And yeah. like the Pepsi, Pepsi in, in, the Indian CEO went like this, and the Muslim man made Coco like this. And I was like, <laughs> very bad, very bad. But now- For the audio listeners, Pepsi went up, Coke went down. That's right, yeah. Uh, and now the Pepsi CEO retired and she, her like deputy came in and he's like, look, we were trying to get out of chips and soda we're not trying to get out of chips and soda anymore. We're in chips and soda. We're going to double down on this. Which they're they do such interesting things to try and make their product better. They're where they're like, you know, with with chips, you know, potato chips have salt on them. So what they're trying to do is grind down the salt so that when you put it on your tongue, it's the exact same flavor, but each salt particle is thinner, and as a result, there's less sodium in their container. Wow, that is fascinating, and I love that kind of stuff. And the CEO has been doing a fantastic job. He's just like, I'm doubling down on Pepsi. People love soda and people love our chips. We're going to make them better. We're going to try and make them healthier too. I feel like a lot of these brands, I always think of like Kit Kat and Reese's. These brands, if they were to launch today, I don't know that they would do that well from a marketing standpoint, but all of these companies that have launched before still crush. And I think they will still continue to work. And I think three generations later, I think Kit Kat will still be flying off the shelf. For sure. I mean, like for a couple of reasons. One, we're getting older, but like, you know, when I hang around my nephews, they're like, give me a Kit Kat. I don't want yeah. any of your garbage stuff that you like, you know, I got these like coconut macaroons from uh, Erwan. They're like, no, give me a yeah. Kit Kat. They're not like, Uncle Moyes, can I have adaptogenic lion's mane right. infused gummies? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think that like, um, we're forgetting what it's like to be in like the middle of America where it's not necessarily a food desert, but you don't have access to this at every single store that you go to. Like when I'm in Florida or Texas, I'm like, yeah, I would give me, you know, uh, potato chips because that's what this, that's what the culture is over here. And I want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. 
That's funny. I also feel like, uh, actually, this is kind of separate, but somewhat true, is like whenever I travel to like, you know, not New York, LA, Austin, and you have to just order, you know, you get in at like eight o'clock, you order food to the sure. hotel or whatever. I just always go for whatever you know is the safest option. Some like pasta, some Thai food. It's like you can't try anything too too crazy. You'll end up with a regret. Every time I flew into Cincinnati actually for PNG, like I'd get in pretty late because the direct flight got me there at like 10 p.m. And I'd call from the airport as soon as I landed, Domino's, and the Domino's person would like meet me in the hotel lot. I'd get, get in, uh, I'd take a camp from the airport and the Domino's person would arrive at the same time. For my <laughs> that's amazing. Perfect time. Uh, but that's a, I, I, that's a good question. Go back to this Olipop thing. Like, what is the purpose of releasing your sales numbers? That is a big question. Like, I wonder what Sanzo is doing. Like, Sanzo must be thinking about this being like, where is my business compared to this? What do I need to get into? I think this article said that, like, root beer was their bestseller. Is Sanzo like, we need to come out with, like, you know, a Taiwanese root beer or something to that effect? Like, should we try and match these flavors or at least copy the best one? Um, I, I wonder that, like, in my head, all of those questions would be, like, you know, being asked. The other interesting thing on TikTok, I know this is true for February. So like Olipop kills it on TikTok, just absolutely kills it. I think they use a platform where they can incentivize people to post, meaning like based on how many views you get, you'll get a CPM based on the number of views. And so people are just constantly churning out videos. I think they did 225 million views in February. Wow. What is uh, what is the platform that they're using to do that thing? Post and get uh, some cash. Fuck, that's a genius idea. I'm not 100% sure. I do know one that exists is called Pear Pop, where you can basically set up a campaign and then, or a challenge rather. And depending on the number of views you get, you can compensate somebody based on how many views they're able to generate. Uh, Mischief Act, do you remember, you know, Mischief, yeah. that studio, they did something similar a while back where they were like trying to push some social message. And it was, you know, if you get 10,000 views, we'll give you 10 bucks. If you get 100,000 views, we'll give you 100 bucks. Uh, That's awesome. If you get a million views, we'll give you 1,000 bucks, something like that. I honestly don't understand. Like, I, I remember our last podcast where I was like, I need someone to understand how many gallons of gasoline I received in my gas station. And you're like, here's a software company for that. I don't know how you know every single software company. That you're like, here's this company that will, like, this is incredible. What is going on in your head that you know about software companies that can, will both monitor how many gallons I'm selling at my gas station and this thing? Dude, I am I am a victim to saying yes to too many calls and yeah, hanging out with too many people. Yeah, that is... And sometimes it helps like, you know, who, who would have thought that I would meet with Jacob six years ago. And today Moise would ask me, what's a platform for that? And it's yeah. pop. Yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> All right. The last interesting tidbit, just because uh, I was finishing with this, but you know, a way planned to sell and then didn't want to sell. And they decided, I don't know if they hired new leadership or what they did, but they decided to really focus on retail expansion. The next retail store that they're opening, which is the Same. first store they've yeah, that they've opened since 2021 is right next to where the True Classic store is. And we were both oh, like, what the fuck? Why there? So they're both, that was, I thought that was an interesting tie. That is an interesting tie. Um, I, I, yeah, the Away Travel team did turn it, like, you know, the the two founders, I think her name was Jen and Steph, right? Like those were their names? Yeah. Is that correct? Two original They founders. both left. Yeah, yeah. So one time there was this hit article on Steph where she had said something bad about like a 3PL 
And people were like, oh, can you believe this? They said she's uh, the 3PL is brain dead. And I was like, this is the nicest thing you could say about that 3PL. She didn't call them crooks. She didn't call them terrible human beings. She didn't call them complete morons. She said they're brain dead. I don't understand still to this day why there were hit jobs against women who were building amazing companies. Like I thought they did. Yeah, it was one after the other. And like the away travel was probably the best direct to consumer business that had launched. It were not for COVID, it probably would have sold for billions of dollars already. And uh, they like you know this article came out, and I was like, this is unbelievable. You know, I tried to like reach out to I think Jen or maybe Steph. I don't remember who I tried to reach out to. Neither of them responded to me. They're like, we've started real businesses. We don't need to talk to you boys. But that was incredible. I, I admire those girls so much. I think that business did go sideways. I think they had a couple, like a down round or maybe several down rounds. Because think about what happened during- They raised no travel. Leases that you're stuck to and nobody's walking to the stores. Nobody's buying your stuff. Not not only is no one going into your stores that you have to pay a rent for, but also you sell a product that no one's thinking about, which is luggage today. Yeah. I I just pulled up the Slack messages as you're talking. It's like, I'm rereading these and I'm like, it's not that bad. She, She called somebody at a 3PL brain dead. Yeah, and it's because that, that's the nicest thing you could say. Misfi- yeah, they were sending out products the wrong way. There was a 3PL um, I know of recently. Somebody moved there and they're like, they, we, you know, in the box, they didn't tape the box closed. And then the 3PL was like, yeah, why would we tape this box closed? You didn't tell us to tape it closed. And they're like, are you fucking idiot? <laughs> yeah, morons. Wait, the funniest part of this article is it goes, she was regularly online past 1 a.m. Like that's yeah. a terrible thing to do. I don't understand uh, why they did that. Like this was, and this is an amazing brand and was a spectacular brand for a really long time. They never discounted one dollar. Yeah, and then like during COVID, they're like, we have to, and they started giving out like big discounts. Do you have an away travel bag? I do. I was gifted one. I've got one. Uh, uh, to be honest, I'm not like the biggest fan of it, frankly. Uh, Same, but I don't use it. But I, I do think it's an amazing business and they've started something incredible and they've done great product development and like, you know, they have a real brand. You know, for a while they were like, we're thinking about launching hotels and stuff. And I'm like, very glad they didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be like, that would be like the fire festival of hotels. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, I'll stop being like, we're starting a new city. You know, the yeah. Cook world, we're actually colonizing Mars. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen, uh, there's another company that has popped up called Bayes, B-E-I-S. For luggage. There's actually a few that have popped up recently in the last like couple of years. So Away, just for context, Away, according to SimilarWeb, has a million and a half site visitors. Bayes Travel has 1.4. So if they're both off by the same percentage, that means that they're pretty accurate. Then there's a company called July, which I believe launched last year. They're not the best looking in my opinion, but they have 700,000 visits. And then the last one is called Monos, which Monos, I think, also launched maybe last year, two years ago. They have the same one and a half million visitors to their site. They also raised like 10 or 20 million dollars. I know Monos raised like 10 or 20 million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. They all sell the exact same SKUs, like the the exact same same lineup. The carry-on, the smaller carry-on, the check-in, the bigger check-in, and then like one or two tier two products. Yeah. Maybe we should start a luggage company. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it, it does seem like the, like you know it seems like supplements like what is the it's just a little bit of design and color but look i mean the away travel girls i think were the first ones to do this and like really do a great job of it i think they all like look good and like you know at different times i had one different ones before that was the raiden suitcase 
Oh, that's right. And they had to shut down because like you couldn't like get the battery out or something, right? So Raiden shut down right around when Away was starting to raise money and got really big. I don't think they had raised enough money to compete against Away. And, you know, when Away came in, they were massive. They also, like the Raiden guy, like the Raiden business also had like an irremovable battery. So you know how at this airport now they're like, do you have any lithium-ion batteries? They had a problem with that because they couldn't take out the battery. By the way, I still don't even understand what that means. Like, you know, I've got a Sonicare toothbrush and I'm always like, I'm checking this thing in. Is this okay? Is this not okay? What are we doing? Like, you know, they're like, do you have any batteries in here? I'm like, you know, what if I have an iPad in there? Everything has a battery. Yeah. Yeah. My jeans have batteries now. (laughs) So I have no idea what you're talking about, but I never, I didn't understand why that was a rule. That and, uh, you know, you have to turn your phone service off. Like what, what does that do? If my phone service is affecting your flight, we've got bigger problems here. Yeah, yeah. My $1,000 phone is affecting this $200 million jet. But (laughs) I'm still like terrified of flying. So I'm like, yeah, no problem. I'll turn it off. (laughs) Yeah. I got you airplane mode. There are a lot of these luggage companies. You know, there's one that I really like called Baboon to the Moon. Have you heard of it? Oh, I love that brand. It's That is, I think, one of my favorites for luggage because of the design. Yeah, like they do really fun like duffel bags with like the interiors always have like a fun print on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moyes, one of my favorite parts of launching a brand is launching their mobile app, mainly because of all of the features you get inside a mobile app that you don't get on a traditional mobile site. So for example, push notifications, I think are fantastic. If you can get the opt-in for push notifications, you have a golden ticket as a brand. Secondly, I love that in Tapcart, you have these content modules. You can add different pieces of content, YouTube videos, recipes, try-on hauls, all these different things that you can't necessarily make native to the experience of a mobile site. It's really great because it allows you to keep your app like up to date and fresh. So if it's like July 4th or Mother's Day or Valentine's Day or Black Friday season, you can update the app really easily so that you can be relevant to the time period you're in. Couldn't agree more. And if you want to try TapCart, go to tapcart.com slash limited and get up to two months free of TapCart. All right. So next segment. Okay. I think you're going to love this one. I'm almost wondering if I should go to the cannabis one first. Let's do the cannabis one first. We'll save sure. mommy's doggers for, for after. When was the last time you were in New York? Uh, near Valentine's Day. Okay, so you probably saw like every corner has its own smoke shop now in New York. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the reason that started is, you know, marijuana is legal here. I sound like a, a cop saying marijuana. Uh, <laughs> like I'm coming straight from the DEA's office. Weed's legal here, but there's a lot of rules as far as selling it and distributing it. There's definitely like all the stuff that's happening downstairs, definitely not legal. But I think the time it takes to shut one of those down is not even worth the fight. And so a lot of people just don't fight it. But what's interesting is, do you know that beverage can, C-A-N-N? It's got like two milligrams of THC and like five of CBD or something like that. They are now selling in New York, which I was like, that is amazing. Like uh, that's the first time I've seen brands legal, you know, can is not going to illegally come and try to distribute it in New York. And so I started just looking into this. And so basically it's very similar to alcohol. And this is again, specific to New York. You have to get your license and then you have to follow the packaging and label guidelines extremely closely. Like if you're just one millimeter off, you're done. 
Same thing with the marketing. The same way like you'll never see somebody drinking alcohol in a commercial or on a boat drinking Grey Goose. You have to be very, very strict with how you advertise. Now, the interesting thing here is you have to produce the weed in the same state you sell it because when you transport, it's technically illegal in that process of transportation, which I just thought was an interesting segment because the two places you can sell weed in New York, according to New York, either in retail, so like dispensaries, or, and they named this in the thing, direct-to-consumer, meaning you could sell it online if your payment processor allows it, obviously, which is a whole other issue. That's so You're interesting. smiling, so I know you've got something cooking in your head. Yeah, I, I think about multiple things. One is, I remember when Colorado legalized it, like, you know, they were the first state in like 2013 or 2012. I remember I was running Caskers and my brother was like, you should quit right now and start doing this for weed in Colorado. And I was like, okay, that's actually not a crazy idea. I've never been to Colorado, but let me take a look at it. And Colorado was like, you cannot ship anything over state lines. (laughs) I'm sorry, not ship over the state lines. You cannot do online sales of this. This must happen in brick and mortar stores. Uh, So there's no, like, I think they didn't, they said you cannot do like delivery of this. You can't have someone buy this on your website and then you deliver it. It has to be entirely online. So that's really interesting that New York is doing this. At this point, I don't think it's possible to shut down uh, like uh, marijuana sales in the United States because so many states have legalized it. But I'm not sure if, if like Mike Pence was elected president, he could easily say, I'm enforcing federal cannabis laws and shutting all of this down. I'm going to arrest one dispensary in New York, just you know, a slap him on the wrist with a $1 fine, but I'm going to tell everybody else, keep doing this and like the fines are going to get heavier. Right. Like it's still possible for this thing to go the way of the dinosaur. I'm just not sure if that'll happen. I, I guess I don't think it'll happen anymore. Well, I feel like if, if somebody that big were to do something, like he would just lose votes instantly. Mike Pence is like, a, I don't know, a conservative where he's like, look, this is what I think is morally right. Right. And I'm willing to, like, I think he, whether you agree with him or don't agree with him, I think he's ready to do what he believes is morally right. Even at the expense of what Jesus sent him to do. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know who started a business recently about this? Uh, Nick Shackelford started. Oh, it's Breezy. Breeze, yeah. Dude, it's called Breeze. Have you tried it? I have. I think it's Breeze. Or- I, I, it's probably Breeze. Breeze, okay, yeah. Drink, B-R-E-Z dot com. Yeah, and they're, they're also running ads on Facebook. Really? How are they doing that? Okay, so if I go to their Facebook ads library, I'm going to pretend that I don't know them at all. If I go to their Facebook ads library and click on an ad, it goes to a subdomain landing page. In this landing page, it's basically an identical version of their site. However, well, two things. One, they're on WordPress, which I thought you'd love. Are they? Uh, Their subdomain, yeah. Okay, the subdomain. But like the site is on- um, The site is still Shopify. But the second thing is all mentions of- THC, hemp-derived, even microdosed cannabis and mushrooms, like all that is gone. Oh, on try.drinkbreeze, is that what you mean? Is that what, yeah. is that what it is? Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. So there's none of that stuff here. I remember too, we launched um, a CBN-infused sleep supplement a few years ago, and we had to do the same thing. Basically, you just make a subdomain. Uh, you actually make like three subdomains because you assume they're going to keep getting shut down or uh, blacklisted, you have to Photoshop the packaging to not include things like the mention of THC. You have to remove all mention of it. You can only kind of allude to it 
but you have to be very careful because if you get flagged for it, it just you're just battling uphill. Wow, you're right. I look. I'm looking at the can on Tri, tri Doc Drink Breeze, and it says 2.5 mg, and then it's blank because they eliminated it where it would say uh, THC. Right. Well, I didn't realize it was this easy to get get around this stuff on Facebook. I'm too, actually. I w- you would think that, like, I wonder where. Okay, so if you click try, here's the interesting thing. If you click try, you get to the PDP, which has everything on it. Yeah, and the other interesting thing is the the try dot which, by the way, this drink it tastes phenomenal. I can't wait for my like full pack to arrive. I tried one and it was great. But when you when you get to the try domain, there's actually two Facebook pixels, which makes me think one of them is not supposed to be there. The one that is on their main site, because you know, because then it's like you're now cross contaminating, or Facebook might see something fishy going on. But yeah, very interesting how. Zero, it's all being built in. Seven, six, zero. Is that what you're talking about? Like those. Yeah. So the six, zero, one, the one ending in six, zero, it's on their main site. Yeah. But then, yeah, there's the second one, which is just (laughs) on the WordPress site. Oh, God. That's hilarious. That's really interesting. I wonder why they have two pixels that they're running too. They probably don't want one of them to scan or to. uh, My hunch is this the one ending in six, zero is not even supposed to be on the first page. That's my hunch. And I wonder what's on the actual post. Because you know how in Shopify you can put scripts exclusively on the thank you page? Yeah. I wonder which one is on that page. I should actually check. There's no, there's none, there's none on the checkout page, by the way. There's no uh, pixel here. Why is that? Is that in the checkout process? Yeah. Like there's none on the, you know, where you start filling out your information, continue to ship it. Yeah. I don't know why. Like Shopify just removes that. It was, no, no. It was my, I'm sorry. I had my ad block. Oh, okay. On the thank you page, they have the one ending at six zero. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder what they use the other one for. Maybe it's like their backup just to like train it on traffic, you know, in yeah. case uh, the other one yeah, goes down. gets shut down, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, I hate, you know, if you were looking at any of my sites, I'd be so upset if you're like, well, let's see what Moises, how many pixels Moises has on this. I'd be like, get off of this. Just stop this right now. Dude, when I was at when I was at Hint, I used to be obsessed with. I had this this notes note in my iPhone, and it was just all like landers from Harry's and Dollar Shave and Buffy and like anybody who was spending on ads. And I would reconstruct because back then on Facebook, it was like you had a very specific journey you could build out. So I would reconstruct. Okay, this is prospecting one. Oh, okay, this is retargeting listicle. Okay, move this over here. And I would basically build out the user journey and just see like, what are the biggest spenders doing and copy it. And that's awesome. You should share that list on Facebook if you still have it or like share some of the links. I should. Yeah. I'm sorry. I do have a good like swipe file of pages. I should, I should put them out. Well, I used to look at like uh, URLs a lot to be like, what are yeah, people, the like, like LAL, they, yeah, they, you, uh, the UTMs that'd be like, you know, you click an ad and they're like LAL women. 40 to 65, you know, just like, okay, you put everything in the targeting right here. Yeah. This is what's working for you. And I would do the same thing. I'd be like, you know, I'd write rich women. Native slash rich women. You know, that's my ad. That's funny. There is one company in California that is trying to make direct to consumer somewhat doable. It's a company called Grassdoor. Have you heard of this? 
Like, I'm sorry, uh, direct-to-consumer cannabis? Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's a, think Glassdoor, but with an R for Grassdoor. Yeah. What they do is they're the only company that I found where... So there's there's uh, different online dispensaries like, what's up, Ease? Yeah, yeah what happened like, to those guys? Those guys Ease, I think, is still... Yeah, I think they're still doing well in California. I'm not sure where all they distribute, but like they're just a marketplace. They don't allow you to set up your own store and process orders through and go into Ease. And the only one that I had found, because we had a client that was selling pre-rolls, the only one I found was this one grass store, which is pretty cool because you can build out a whole sub-store. Uh, if you go to bead.co, B-E-E-D.co, you'll see the machines. You can buy the machine online and that's just a, you know, actually no, even in their case, the machine is all delivery too. So basically anything you do on this site outside of education or trying to learn something, you are on a subdomain, which is shop.bead.co which is actually hosted on the Grassdoor, Grassdoor's website. And this is where you place the order to, you know, get delivered to your your house or your apartment. You know, I'm so worried about optimizing my site. I would never ask, you know, anything. I've never like check this box. I'm always like, it's default checked. With weed, everyone's like, you have to check this box. Before you say, I'm 21, you have to check it, you know, like. Um, right. It's not default check because they're like, people will go through so much to get weed. And they will not do that for anything else I've ever seen in my entire life. Like they're like, no, we want this badly enough that we're willing to make, we're willing to do hard work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is that is so true. I respect the. That. Um, do you know Rob Freund? You followed this guy on Twitter. I, everybody should follow this guy, Robert Freund Law. Robert F R E N D oh, yeah. Law. Like this guy has saved so many people so much money just from his tweets of just talking about what to watch out for. Anyways, he tweeted something recently about like the whole checkout experience, the terms of service, as well as the actual checking out. Legally, you're supposed to have a checkbox when somebody's checking out, but all of us conversion nerds are like, no, fuck you. <laughs> Go away with the legal stuff. That's interesting. I remember like there, there was this case against Yelp. Uh, so one of the business ideas I had was creating like a newsletter for in-house counsel or startups being like, here are important cases that you want to pay attention to that may affect your business. And yeah. one of them was like having a check, like basically uh, someone would use, I don't know what service it was, and they checked out and there was nothing that said like by checking out, you agree to the terms of service near the checkout button. And so somebody sued the company and they're like, look, I didn't agree to these terms of service. And they're like, yes, you did. You checked out. And they're like, well, there's no language around here that says by uh, you know, clicking up place order, I agree to your terms of service. So everyone should have that. Like, you know, it doesn't need to be at least I didn't think it had to be a checkbox. It sounds like it might have to be a checkbox, but at least something being like, you know, by agreeing to these, uh, by placing this order, I agree to these terms of service. Like that's a very low hanging fruit to give you agreed. Like uh the other thing is like arbitration. Always in your terms of service, you should say you are required to do arbitration and you waive the right to do class action lawsuits. Interesting. Any other tips, Mr. Harvard lawyer? You know, I was thinking about doing like there's a forum uh, selection clause usually where they're like, hey, um, you agree that if you file a lawsuit, it has to be here. And I was going to do it native terms of service. You agree to file a lawsuit only in Karachi, Pakistan. You could both go there. You and I will both fly there and let's see, let's see who, let's see who wins this case. Oh, the Pakistani or the non-Pakistani. So I was like, okay, all you know, you oh, you can only file a lawsuit there. But I was like, no, no. Oh, but knock on wood, I never had any lawsuits. Amazing, yeah. 
Yeah, that is a good idea. Uh, that, that is really interesting in terms of the law, uh, lawyer, uh, the legal guy on Twitter. I like him. Yeah. All right. Last segment, because we're coming yes. up on time here. Yes. All right. Last night, I'm at dinner, and uh, like this is a crew that you should have totally been at the table. One thing we started talking about was the mommy blogger revolution. And there's been mommy bloggers since, you know, 2009, since blogging was invented. But then there was this next level of mommy bloggers, call it more like the family bloggers, like, you know, they're mommy bloggers originally, they're talking about product reviews, about style. This group of mommy bloggers is more like they portray the most perfect lifestyle that everybody aspires to live. So it's like they, they have the, the perfect family, they have nice cars, they have the picket white fence, they have a nice house, they have a perfect relationship, cute kids, good style. They're like the OG YouTube vloggers that do well. They all portray the same things. And the best part is because a lot of these audiences were built on Instagram and YouTube versus just like, you know, WordPress, anytime something happens where any of those things I mentioned, nice cars, perfect relationship, cute kids, whatever, any of those get fucked up, it only brings the relationship from the audience to the mommy, whatever, even closer. It's worked out so many times. Like a lot of these people are just uncancelable. So it got me thinking like, what are, what are some brands recently? Like we were coming off this direct to consumer venture backed incest pool of brands just falling out of the sky. So many brands that I know were raising at 20 million or 40 million. They're just dead right now. And meanwhile, I'm talking to these people and their brands are doing eight figures, nine figures, best selling here. And so I wrote down a couple that you'll definitely recognize. One is a brand called Divi Hair from an, an influencer named Danny Austin. High eight-figure revenue. Number eight hair serum on Amazon, period. Wow. Next one, Crave Beauty. I think she started as an Instagram. I just met her yesterday on a call. They're similar web traffic. 333,000 visitors per month. Next one, Bloom Nutrition, which we've actually talked about before. I didn't realize there was an, uh, like the, the founder was an influencer. Number one selling supplement in Walmart, number three selling beauty and health and wellness product on Amazon. Like number three, that is insane. They do 320,000 on their similar web. I'm sorry, what was the brand called again? Bloom Nutrition. Oh, that's right. Then Glamnetic with Ann McFerrin and also Kevin Gould's behind that. 707,000 visitors a month on similar web. And then the last one I wrote down was Away, Jen Atkin, which P&G bought. Uh, didn't have the terms. You might actually know that number, but their sales were projected north of 50 in 2021. And so this is in particular, sorry, just so I understand it, this isn't like um, famous celebrities starting brands. This is mommy no. bloggers. This is, brands. I'm just talking about like mommy bloggers had some problem in their life. Like for example, Danny Austin with Divi, she was, uh, you know, after COVID, she had her hair falling out and she was talking about this. Again, it's like she had the perfect life on Instagram, her hair starts falling out. She start she started talking about it, and it brought her audience so it got them so invested in her hair. Wow. She starts going to Whole Foods like just make. She's like, oh, this this uh, serum or this ingredient is supposed to help with it. Starts tinkering around, ends up making some formulation in her kitchen, and then commercializes it, and basically just turned a problem that is like very again visually stimulating, demonstrable problem, and provided a very clear solution. So that's Beautiful like the packaging too. Yeah, amazing packaging. What's really interesting is these brands follow 
a very similar format that I think anybody listening could also do. They follow this format of, you know, they start 80-20, meaning like within the first year, 80% of their sales come organically. They are pushing it themselves. You know, if you have 2 million followers and you're a mommy blogger, dude, you know, you're like, you're like the queen of the mommy bloggers. You know, all the other mommy bloggers, you guys have group chats. All the other mommy bloggers are pushing your product. They're storing it. They're tagging you. And it's not really even they're pushing it that you need in terms of generating sales. What you really need is the credibility, the social proof, and the answer for when people go to Google and say, what is Divi hair? And it's like, there's 12 articles about it, or there's, you know, somebody else is talking about that's really what you want. So they, they launch with hype. They start with a nice revenue base because on launch day, it's like all their fans are going. Then they get social proof quickly. They get their product into as many hands as possible. Stories, tags, articles, affiliate articles. You know, so when people search it on YouTube or TikTok or whatever, there's content there. Then they start pushing on paid media and Amazon. So they go direct to consumer because, you know, you can talk to your consumer or whatever. You start pushing and you start hitting the dial on paid a bit. Because you have all this social proof, paid just cranks. It just works. And then you do the same thing on Amazon. Then what I saw was like, they sort of build this infrastructure, the successful companies. They build an infrastructure where whoever is the face of it does not actually need to operate the business almost at all. Like they basically set up a team and they still, all they do is focus on content because what got them there is the content. So they just continue to focus on the content and some team is running the brand. As that starts building, then the next play is retail. So like they'll get into Ulta, Sephora, you know, something like that, eventually Target. And then once they're in there, then the game is like product collaborations, just keeping the brand top of mind, building that top of funnel, collaboration products, new product launches, things to just keep the brand fresh. How big of a mommy influencer do you need to be in order to do something like this? Like, can you start with, you know, 2000 or like, I would imagine you actually become a far bigger influencer because all of a sudden you've started this brand and you're running ads through this brand. So a lot of people are like, okay, I just saw an ad for Crave and uh, let me follow the fa- the, C- the CEO. Like, you know, you're just running through your own Instagram account possibly. Yeah. And um does that happen? Does that result in the person becoming a bigger influencer? Like I imagine Sarah Curie or I think her name's Lindsay at Byte. I think they both run ads. I think I've seen through their own accounts, which is going to get that person individually more Instagram followers as well. Is that like, do they become bigger influencers because of this or does their influence do this? I'm so glad you asked because I have the answer right here. <laughs> so I know your first thought is, okay, how do I go make money with these mommies? And so, <laughs> so with that, there's basically two ways. I'll get to your question in a second. There's two ways. One is you find a mommy influencer brand that is pretty early. These teams generally are very small. Like I'm talking less than 10 people. You find a team, you join it early. A lot of them, they're good on content. They're good on shipping orders out. They're not good on paid. So that's one opportunity. The second one is the Moizali opportunity. You have to identify the mommy blocker, mommy blogger who can move product, partner up with them, and then make sure that whatever they're selling is actually authentic. So your question was, how do you find a mommy blogger? The tough part with mommy bloggers is a lot of them can be smoke and mirrors, and a lot of the ones that can move product are also kind of very hard to see. 
you know, I think what you were talking about, like running whitelisting ads, I feel like that actually used to do really well. Like I remember in 2017 running whitelisted ads, one of the things we used to tell influencers was like, dude, I'll get you verified and we'll get you a shitload of followers. Today, I don't think that works as much. I think the the barrier to a follow is much higher. And so then the question becomes, okay, well, if I'm boys, how do I go and find my mommy blogger and find my product? The first thing I think you need to qualify is, can this mommy blogger move product? You either move a shitload of product. I'm talking like a million dollars of revenue to the Kate Spade site through affiliate. That level or you don't. They either work really well or it's just, you know, it's nothing. So then the question is, okay, well, I don't want to, you know, set up an entire brand only to realize that it's not going to work. And so I have two ideas. One is you ideate the product, you set up a landing page, get a waitlist going, you have them run it. And on the landing page, you put a $1 reservation. Why a $1 reservation? Well, one, you hold the payment token, but two, you're testing for very high intent traffic. You're trying to see, okay, how much does this fan base believe in whatever this lady's pushing? The product, in my opinion, it needs to be a very obvious problem and solution product. And it needs to be something that you can visually see because all these people are coming to the, they're following this person for the visual content. So you want to cater to the medium that they're, they're used to. I think generally too, what makes a good mommy blogger product something that's high consumption or subscription-based, it fits into a routine just like the content consumption of their audience fits into a routine. It's light and easy to ship. And it, again, from Ryan's tip, it caters the vanity or vice. But if you are Moiz Ali and you have brands at your disposal, you might be saying, well, I have all these brands. How can I test mommies even easier? Well, you find your brand, like I would go to Long Weekend and I would set up a partnership. I would say, all right, we're going to set up a collaborative product. Uh, like we just did this long weekend sniff partnership and we said, all right, we're going to put up, you know, a thousand units of this SKU. It's going to cost us, let's say $2,000 to get this made, you know, in the box and in the 3PL. And then you're going to promote it. And if you can move product, if you can move some benchmark, you can set your own benchmarks, then you can decide, all right, this person has a lot of potential to drive sales or you know what, this person didn't drive a lot of sales, but at least I'm only in the hole two grand. And then what do you do? Okay, so this person drove a lot of sales. Are you like, okay, great, let me build a brand around them? Or like, what's your, what's the next? 100%. Yeah, if somebody's like, all right, we, we drove 30K in sales in one weekend, or, or we got uh, tons of people, you know, the conversion rate on the landing page was 60% of people who went and put a dollar in. Then I'm like, oh, I got a future billion dollar business right here. And I would try to find, then it's like, okay, now how do you match up? the audience demographics of the mommy influencer, the actual interests of this person and the content they put out, and then also some sort of gap in the market where you feel like you can go in and be somewhat disruptive. You did something with Sniff at Long Weekend. Did that work out well? Yeah, it worked out great. We sold out. Okay. You know who does this is, I sit on the board of this company called Brewmate, and they've started doing collaborations with like influencers. I'm not sure they're always mommy bloggers, but they're like influencers that have a little bit of influence, but they're not like, you know, I don't know, Jennifer Aniston. And so they're like, help, let's design a print with you. And then we will make a custom print that fits with your ethos and you'll promote it and we'll promote it and we'll see what does really well. And they do a good job of being like, I'm not going to order too many of these things. So we want to sell out. And then like they do great imagery and videos with the influencers. You know, they just started doing this, but it seemed to be really effective. 
I'm not entirely positive it's been really effective. Actually, I should say, I like when I see it, I'm like, oh, this looks awesome. Yeah. Um, they did one recently with this woman named Stephanie Joplin, who runs an Instagram account called Better with Chardonnay. And she's got 490,000 followers and they did like a custom print with her. I'm pretty sure it was a custom print. Looks beautiful. Um, I really love it. And uh, I think I, I'm nearly certain I've ordered it. And, um, you know, I love that kind of stuff. Like, I, I do love those types of collaborations. And it's interesting to be like, this is actually step one. Step two is you create a brand with that person if it does really well. And I think also, like, for whoever's an opportunist, going back and looking at collaborations that did well, like the one you just mentioned is a fantastic example. Another really good one is the Sniff and Half-Baked Harvest, which we mentioned did more revenue in one collaboration than they did all year. How, why has nobody gone there and said, we're building you a brand and you just have to be the face of it? Here's 35%. I'm not sure why they haven't. I think that's a great idea. Like there was a woman who started a hair care brand at Target. I think it was called like, oh, Kristen S. She wasn't as big as she is today. The hair care brand is bigger than her. But like, you know, when she launched this, I think she just had a, like, you know, a, maybe a couple hundred thousand Instagram followers or something like that. And now she's huge as I understand it because like they launched a very successful Instagram, I'm sorry, very successful Target hair care launch. I remember when Native was thinking about doing hair care a long time ago, people were like, or everyone was like, just launch whatever, do what exa exactly what Kristen Nets did. And we're like, I don't know what that means here, but uh, <laughs> that was really successful for her and like, yeah. made her a much bigger influencer. You know, to me, the thing that it, that's the most attractive to this is the fact that you, you can get your first 400, 500K in revenue without spending a dollar on yeah. ads. And yeah. in addition to that, like, Think about all the traffic and conversions that just train your pixel. You know, if you're launching a brand from scratch on paid, you probably got to spend like 30K, 35K before your pixel actually starts to learn who yeah. to go after and, and who to target. But in this case, it's like the second you drive that traffic and it sees the conversion events, it's already indexing that and understanding who to go after when you do turn it on. Yeah. Yeah. You get benefit. You get to the $150,000 of startup capital by just having $500,000 in sales. So you've got some cash in your pocket to be able to like spend on ads and you've got a brand that has some authenticity and you're right. A pixel that's well trained. Good point. This brings me to my last side hustle idea. Somebody just like you would uh, like, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond up for sale or in bankruptcy, whatever it is. What's happening with their Facebook pixel? Can I buy that shit? <laughs> wow. That's a good question. Somebody should, for all these companies that die, like think about how many skincare companies have spent millions of dollars on paid in the last three years and then just flop. Or there's a company I was looking at, they raised $9 million, they burned through all of it in the last two years and now they're trying to sell. And it's like, I would just take that pixel and leave. That's it. That's all I need. Well, do you think the pixel is good? Because I would say, I'd like, I guess the pushback would be if the pixel was any good, these guys wouldn't have gone out of business. The whole point was that they couldn't convert people <laughs> these people, uh, with the pixel that's that they're using. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. Also, there's another company I'm on long weekend right now called Bounty. Get paid to post. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bounty is another good company. You can. <laughs> it comes out when it's on your website. <laughs> I know. I invested in it too. <laughs> it's a uh, Bounty. Well, it's a little bit different. It's like, Post-purchase, you get the opportunity to make money, whereas the Olipop one is like, hey, everybody in the world, you know, want to make money? That's awesome. Okay, good. Okay, I think that's a wrap for uh, episode five. Yeah, that is a wrap. That was a fun episode. That was fun. I appreciate all the stuff that you brought. That was great. Yeah, yeah. 
Some people have already, I just checked Twitter. Some people have already started guessing Build-A-Bear. Yeah, yeah, so, one guy saw. But I, like, you know, I put the market cap on there, so it's not yeah, hard to figure it out. I know, yeah. If, if I was Googling, I'd probably figure it out. Yeah, yeah, if you were Googling, you definitely would have figured it out. It's very, very different. Like, I don't yeah. like uh, believe them. All right, boys, that's all I had on the agenda today. Thanks for putting that together. That was fantastic. I'm going to try and bring another next another company next week and try and make you guess it based on like uh, weird numbers. Amazing. I, really like I wonder it. I wonder how many people guessed Build a Bear within the time I was trying to guess it. I uh, you know, uh, on Twitter they could have looked it up e- easily. I put in the revenue, I put in the, you know, valuation, I put in EBITDA. It's really easy to get. Like, you know, you had you you had to guess. Yours was a genuine guess and it was really close. I was impressed. Sweet. Awesome. All right, well, we'll see you next episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.